I, I can't help but feel like as we're here in Romans 11 in this section of the privilege of being the people of God that in some ways uh, I would hope that these verses kind of vindicate me in some ways. I know that's kind of selfish sounding, but uh, that they would uh, allow you to see a little bit of why we've looked at these chapters of Scripture in terms of what it means to be God's privileged people. How it relates to Israel having been God's privileged people and, and what I believe will, will be God's privileged people again in the future as a nation and what it means for us to be God's privileged people, the church, his body. And here we are in Romans 11 where we're looking at becoming God's people. It's bigger than you and me. It's bigger than you and me. To be his people the body of Christ from whom all things have come, to whom all things belong, that we get to be his people on this earth, his body, his hands and his feet. I don't know if you saw this this week, but Mark Zuckerberg, uh, founder of of Facebook, uh, gave a talk to Uh, Facebook support group leaders in Chicago. And I don't think this was like a declaration or an announcement. I think it was more of an analogy that he gave. But the statement was made and was backed up that Facebook is really the new church. And there were a couple of reasons there, and maybe, maybe this resonates with you a little bit. But he gave two main reasons for why he believes that Facebook in a lot of ways is the new church. And he was speaking of people that have left um, what he sees as kind of physical community groups and they have the opportunity to be ministered to, if you could say, by virtual community groups. And he would say that they're, they're longing for a sense of purpose and a sense of community. And they're getting that from Facebook and specifically from Facebook support groups. But I want you to kind of ask yourself, is something like Facebook where you're getting your sense of purpose and community? Is that where you're getting your your sense of of involvement in the world and and mission? Is, Is that where you're getting your sense of belonging? And it's easy to do that because um, in online communities, which I, I have a hard time calling them communities, to tell you the truth. I call them tribes. Because in tribes, and I don't want to get into this too much, it's part of postmodernism, but, but in tribes, we have one thing in common, and we consider ourselves a part of the tribe because we hold that to be in common. And really, if you look closely, there's a very little concern about any other part of the person's life. Very little knowledge about any other part of their life. But as long as they are about what the tribe is about, they're in. Uh, and, and so what's true of that and what we like about this online community idea, and I'm not, I'm not against Facebook or anything like that, but it's about you. It's about your interests. It's about what level of commitment you want rather than this sense of privilege that God has called me into this people. 
this morning I hope to explain how both Israel and the church have been God's privileged people. And to be honest with you, in all honesty, I probably wouldn't be preaching on this if we weren't in the middle of it in Romans 11. My temptation is to just kind of breeze over it. But I think as you see kind of the layers of this, you'll, you'll see why we're in it for a few weeks here. Apologize if you're kind of stepping into the midstream here. Um, you're welcome to back, get back messages online or, or continue on um, if you're unable to. But let's, let's pick back up in Romans 11, starting in verse 11. We'll be reading Romans 11, 11 through 25 for context here, but we're going to be focusing this morning on 16 through 22. So speaking of Israel, speaking of God's covenant relationship with them and kind of defending God's covenant with them as, as um, unconditional and his commitment to them and and uh, because it, it's a testimony to us if we have a, have a covenant relationship with God under the new covenant individually, having a relationship with him through Christ. Um, Romans has been defending God's faithfulness to his people. So he goes on in verse 11. So I ask, did they, being Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the, the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are looking uh, this morning uh, a second time into our window of opportunity as God's privileged people, our window as the church. 
of opportunity as God's privileged people. In some ways, we are like stand-ins, okay? We are uh, like understudies, all right? Uh, an un- what does an understudy do? When the uh, person with the part in the play, in the drama, cannot fulfill their role, the understudy takes the place. But differently than what an understudy usually does, an understudy usually prepares for it. An understudy usually gets ready for it. Well, we've already seen in Romans uh, that kind of irony that even though Israel pursued God uh, for generations, they did not pursue him in the way that he intended to be pursued. They pursued him by works. And we as Gentiles, it kind of says, we uh, kind of stumbled upon his grace in some ways. Romans nine thirty through 32 tells us, what shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, and that that righteousness is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a, a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Yeah. Why, 32 says, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So it's not that Israel got sick or Israel, uh, you know, broke its, broke its leg and we had to come in and fill that position. It's that they got confused about how a relationship with God, the righteousness that's required to have a relationship with God is imputed to them. It wasn't by their works. It was by faith that God would give that to them. A relationship with him by faith through the sacrifice of their Messiah. So the main idea that we're getting across in these weeks is kind of the combination of those main points. Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ and cause us to live with anticipation. We're looking this morning at that idea, it should humble us as followers of Christ. Learning from their purposeful and reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ. We looked last week at verses 11 through 15 at Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble where he was asked, asked the question, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Earlier in the chapter, it was already established that, that, um, that Israel, that individuals within Israel can be saved. There's a remnant there that have come to Christ, that have recognized that Christ is our Messiah. And yes, the Messiah was sacrificed for us. And yes, that replaced the, the uh, works of the law that were pointing to him. And there's a remnant within Israel. They're not all rejected. And here it's asking, will they as a nation be able to return as God's privileged people again? Or have they stumbled so that they have fallen away completely from that? And he says, no, they haven't stumbled. It's reversible. In fact, it's purposeful. And we saw the principles of Israel and the church being God's privileged people in those three ideas. Israel's national failure allowed for salvation to be available to us Gentiles. Secondly, that our being saved will make Israel envious and cause openness to the gospel. And thirdly, Israel's being uh, returned to being God's privileged people will mean even greater to us, the church. So Israel's stumble as God's privileged people is reversible 
and purposeful. It's purposeful in the sense that we are welcomed by God's grace into His body, His privileged people today. And it should humble us as followers of Christ. And so I'll read verses 16 through 22 here. Um, And it's going to be a little bit kind of odd because he's dipping into uh, Jewish practices or, or things that were common to Jewish life and, and uh, Middle Eastern life. So he says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them, uh, among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief but you stand in stand fast through faith so do not become proud but fear for if god did not spare the natural branches neither will you, he spare you note then the kindness and severity of god severity toward those who have fallen but god's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off this verse 22 here is kind of a summary verse and and, and we're going to sit here for just a bit before we go into um, what gives us perspective on our relationship with God as his privileged people. Um, understand here that just as earlier in the chapter we're, taught is, we're being told about Israel as a nation and that not all of them have fallen away because there is still a remnant Here we are also speaking about Israel as a nation and Gentiles as nations in their opportunity to be a part of the privileged people of God, a part of the church. Uh, But just as there, the remnant is in contrast with that, there's always able to be a remnant of people that are following Christ. Okay, we'll come back to that principle here. But as Warren Wearsby says, please keep in mind that Paul is not discussing the relationship of individual believers to God, but the place of Israel in the plan of God. So presently, what Israel is, as a nation, is experiencing here is described as severity. As a nation, as was described in the verses we looked at before, they're being hardened to the gospel as a nation all but the remnant who have come to Christ as their Savior. The severity that's being talked about here, which we're told, note the severity and the kindness of God, which which the New American Standard says, behold the severity and the kindness of God. And what other versions say, consider the severity and the kindness of God. The severity that's being talked about here is defined as something that's cut off abruptly, or precipitously, like a cliff. So it's not severity in terms of brutality. It's a severity in terms of strike one, strike two, you're out. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? 
It's abruptly, before you know it, to become a post-God culture, a post-people, uh, uh, being the people of God in your history all of a sudden and not in your present. He also tells us to consider, to behold the kindness toward the church made up of Jew and Gentile. It says, note the kindness of God. This is similar to how God will appeal to us in Romans 12, based on His mercies. We Gentiles are welcomed into God's covenant of salvation by grace through faith. Just as Israel's remnant was chosen by grace, not on the basis of works, or else it wouldn't be grace. And we don't deserve to be a part of God's covenant with his people. It's his kindness. I get frustrated when our culture wants to pick and choose the truths that we've been given about God. For instance, everyone wants to say, hey, we're all children of God. We're all his children. But yet when you talk about that God is our creator and that we are his creation, and as the author of our story, he has the authority over us as the author and as our maker, it's like, whoa, 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 that's not the God I serve. Here we're told, note the kindness and the severity of God. And we're, we're given four reasons why Israel's stumble should humble us as Gentiles, give us perspective on where we are as being a part of God's privileged people, in many ways as Americans. Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ because we benefit from the root of God's privileged people. He makes a statement, these two analogies, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now this first principle here is directly from uh, Israel's heritage in, in the Old Testament law where they would give first fruits of everything that was made. The first fruits of it went to God, whether that be in an official offering at the temple or in a lump of dough that they made. They were told before they entered into the promised land, every lump of dough that you make from this grain, you should offer up a piece of it the first piece of it to the Lord. And so he's drawing off of this idea, if the, if the dough offered, that first bit of it is holy, so is the whole lump. And he's referencing the same thing that he broadens out to the greater Middle Eastern culture. If the root is holy, so also are the branches. Both principles here have to do with the benefit from the blessings that were originally only available to Israel. And there's different views of what the root is really referring to. I hold to the view that he's referencing those that God originally made covenant with. That out of the blue, God shows up to Abraham and he confirms it to his son Isaac and to Jacob and he passes it on to his 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. But he shows up to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you. Whoever blesses you, I will bless them. Whoever curses you, I will curse. 
I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a people and every nation on the earth is going to be blessed through you. Being that they'll be blessed through the Messiah that would come through his people. And so I hold that the root that he's talking about are those patriarch fathers of the relationship with God that was begun through covenant relationship. As Galatians 3.29 tells us, as, as us being able to partake in that root of covenant with Abraham says if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise or Galatians 4:28 that tells you now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise that we are Abraham's offspring if you will through having a relationship with God through Christ and he talks about this olive tree so understand that the olive tree was an emblem of Israel, but it is common throughout the Middle Eastern world. And I, I remember the story from, from Albania's uh, uh, being uh, freed from Turk rule uh, by uh, their, uh, their national leader that, for the life of me, I can't remember his name. But one of the things that he declared as their ruler at that point was he said, every family should plant an olive tree, at least one olive tree on their property. Because it was a future thinking thing. It was a we are going to be an, an independent people for generations and let's start planning that. Because when, you're, when you would enjoy good fruit from an olive tree, it's because your great-great-grandfather planted that sapling. He took that wild olive tree and he planted it and he's like, for my life, I'm going to cultivate this root. I'm going to cultivate this tree. It is going to last for generations. And so that's the principle there of the olive tree. And so what would happen is in this cultivated olive tree, this root, if you will, that, that goes down deep and, and soaks up nutrients down deep, even in the midst of drought. That if one of the branches on that olive tree would become uh, no longer bearing olives, no longer bearing fruit, would become fruitless, what he could do as a cultivator of that tree, generations, you know, third generation down, wants that olive tree to continue to bear fruit for generations more. He would break that, olive, that branch off and set it aside, and he would go to a wild olive tree that was the same as this one, but it simply had not been cultivated for generations as this one had. And he would break off a branch from that wild olive tree or make me take a big section of it and come back to this one that had been cultivated and cared for and peel back the bark and shove that branch down into there and then wrap it tight so that now that wild branch that had come from stock that was nothing like this one that was being put into could, could draw off the nutrients and the richness and the flow that came from those deep roots and that heritage of cultivation. And that's the picture being given here of us as Gentiles having the opportunity to be God's privileged people in many ways, replacing Israel as God's privileged people, yet the, the people of God today being made up of a remnant of Jewish people and of Gentiles as well. All people welcome into the church of God.
And we're told here to watch out for arrogance because of thinking that we're better because we're Johnny-come-lately. As well, we see the danger spoken of in these verses. The original branches, they're, they're still there, okay? That, that's the picture here. It's the, this is different than, than um, <clears throat> like the picture of the vine uh, that Jesus paints in John 15. This is a national picture of God using nations. Those branches are there and ready. And, and what I believe we're taught in 25 and following is that God's plan is to take Israel back up and graft them in again. But moving on, Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ also because it's arrogant to think we deserve to be God's privileged people. We should be humbled, not arrogant. He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is you. It's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Salvation by grace through faith eliminates the opportunity for boasting because we did nothing of ourselves to deserve or to beckon God's grace. We were not this, he didn't come over here and be like, wow, that's an awesome wild olive tree. No. We're in, we're in comparison to his heritage of grace with his people and, and grafted into that. You need to be aware of something. With, with the publication of The Origin of Species uh, over 150 years ago, there was more that happened to Western thought than just an understanding of evolution on a biological level. Uh, we began to see law as evolving. We began to see culture as an evolving thing. We began to see truth as an evolving thing. And you young people, it's hard for you to understand this. The younger we are, the harder it is for us to get this. But this worldview that the newer knowledge, the newer truth, that is a new idea. And it is an outflow of evolutionary principle placed on the truth. If you will, it's, it's easy for us in our culture to think of Old Testament, even New Testament times as being men in robes and turbans just having these superstitious ideas. Understand, God's word has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. And since it was begun being written 3,500 years ago, it stood critique, it stood integrity. But it's, what we see today is, it, is people comparing it to a blog by one person who says, this is why I don't believe what the Bible says. New research shows. And understand that it is only within the 150 year, last 150 years and more pronounced in our culture today for us to look at the timeless truths of Scripture, and say, well, what, that old book? The older and more sound something has been. Gives credence to its truth. And understand the way that our culture is pulling that away. The cultivated root of God's gracious work with the saints of old is our root. 
And it, depend, it does not depend on your trusting it or believing it in order to be true. You depend on it. And trust me, it gives great support. It's arrogant to think that we deserve to be connected with the rich covenant history between God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And one might say, okay, well, maybe I, I don't compare well to the root. But I compare really great to those branches that were broken off. The answer is based on the fact that we stand through faith. Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ because we are a part of God's privileged people by faith. By faith in Christ. That's what he says. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. What is their unbelief in? Their unbelief was in the fact that their relationship with God was by His grace. They began to believe that it was the things that they did that made God want to have relationship with Him. And it's described here as unbelief. Because they were brought their Messiah... And they did not believe him. And Nicodemus couldn't believe it when Jesus said that God loves the whole world so much that he's giving his son so that whoever, Jew or Gentile, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And and we're told here that their lack of faith in that was actually unbelief. I don't believe you, God. And once again, we recall 9.32 was given a reason why they did not achieve the righteousness that they pursued. It's because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. Faith in Christ brings Gentiles and the Jewish remnant to be God's privileged people, the church. And faith stands in contrast to works. There's no boasting provided for, as we were taught in Romans 3, verses 27 through 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Lastly, we see Israel's purposeful, reversible stumble should humble us as followers of Christ because arrogantly thinking that we are worthy can be dangerous. It says, you stand fast through faith. So, or in conclusion, do not become proud but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now recall here, we're talking about Israel's unbelief, Israel's being broken off as God's privileged people and set aside as a nation. Does that mean no one in Israel can, can know Christ as their Savior, can recognize my sins were paid for at the sacrifice of Christ and his his resurrection proved that. And so, so I, can, I can trust that 
He took my sins and he offers me his righteousness so that I can stand before God in his righteousness. So even though the nation of Israel has been broken off, there can still be a remnant of people which God said, uh, Paul describes as chosen by grace, trusting in him. So it's describing here Israel's fall as a nation, their unbelief concerning salvation by grace through faith. And unbelief concerning salvation by grace through faith can also lead to a Gentile nation being broken off. And I believe it'll lead ultimately to the same idea of the church being taken out of the picture and God's people being grafted back in and being his people again. Can there be a remnant of Gentiles that come to Christ as their Savior? Yes. says don't be proud but instead fear now the fear of the lord is a hard thing to understand and this message is not necessarily on that but just let me say a few things here it can be confusing you know the most common command in all of scripture is fear not fear not but yet we're told do not be arrogant but fear how do those two fit It's kind of like when uh, Israel as a people, the Hebrew people are at the base of Mount Sinai and they see the lightning and they see the the thunder and the trembling and and they say to Moses, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us. And Moses says to them in Exodus 20, do not fear for the Lord has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. So we're told there even, don't be afraid, but fear the Lord. I want to give you two ideas, just briefly, of, of where I think that happens. One, it's in the knowledge that God is always present, that God's ways are always best, that God's commands are always pertinent. Just as we're told in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for what one sows, that will he also reap. And so, fear of the Lord has to do with who He is in the ever-present, omnipotent, all-knowing God. There's no getting away from Him. And I think also fear of the Lord involves fear of missing out. There should be a fear of missing all that He has for us. Fear of missing what it means to to walk in his presence all the time, to be conscious of his presence, to experience his filling, to experience that relationship with him at any given moment. Missing out on enjoying all that he's given to us. Fear what? Fear apathy. Fear fruitlessness. Fear loss a loss of generations of Christian people. Heading home to what our passage is speaking about. We as Gentile nations, we can lose that opportunity easily for God to work in and through us. It can happen severely, without warning, without notice. 
But it doesn't mean that salvation would be revoked from individuals or not be available to individuals, just as Israel has a remnant. Any nation, by God's grace, by God's gracious choice, can have a remnant within them. But we see signs of this arrogance toward the branches broken off in our culture. We see, uh, I think that it's a good description of anti-Semitism. During medieval times, the persecution of Jews by the Catholic Church or by even the reformers who kept replacement, this idea of replacement theology of of, uh, maybe by treating them severely, they will see that they've been broken off. Or in the Ku Klux Klan, right within their pledge, uh, going along with declaring themselves as being the master race, will go on to say, and we hate Jews because they rejected the Christ. Considering themselves the Christian people. Or the Nazis with their considering themselves good Christian people. Or a Christian nation. Even in the midst of their horrible atrocities against the Jews. Horrible things have been done in the name of being a Christian nation. Understand that that what underlies this is that Satan is always looking for an opportunity to disprove God's promises. To disprove that God's covenants with Israel are still standing. And again, this section closed with the chilling statement, to the gen- us Gentiles as a people. We should be humbled as followers of Christ. He says, note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, Gentiles, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. It's provided that we continue in his kindness. This term continue speaks of to remain, to abide. It speaks of a person's position in, a relationship to. It's often used as someone uh, abiding in a home as a guest, staying at someone's house. He's saying, provide you stay in my house, you Gentiles. God doesn't owe anybody anything. Salvation comes by his kindness, by faith, not Unbelief. Unbelief is not rewarded. And Gentiles of the church, we have no covenants that God must keep to keep us as his people. There's no covenant with us. There's covenants with us individually of the new covenant that we celebrate whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper. That new covenant in Christ's blood, the cup of the new covenant, But with us as a people, there's no covenant that holds us. Remember, the root supports us. It's a mistake to think that we in America will continue as a, quote, Christian people, even though most don't even have a converted experience of a relationship with God through Christ. Similar to what we see in Europe. I mean, are you aware that the... The chancellor of Germany, is her political party is the Christian Democratic Union of Germany. 
with no concept of a personal relationship with Christ. With no understanding of that. The saying goes on, just sitting at McDonald's does not make me a hamburger. And being an American or a citizen of what's considered a Christian nation doesn't make you a Christian. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Coming to a personal relationship with, Christ, with God through the person and work of Christ, that's what makes you a Christian. Going on with this idea of if you continue, I mean, think of, it's about a people continuing in his kindness, continuing in his grace, continuing to recognize we are saved by faith. God owes us nothing. I mean, imagine if you walked into a restaurant and it said, uh, voted a great place to eat by the paper in 1998. You'd have no assurance that that's still a great place to eat. Right? I mean, you'd be like, what about the 20 years since then? That's the same sort of sense where he's saying, hey, folks, Gentile peoples, I don't owe you anything. In fact, I got these branches laying here that are ready to be grafted back in. And as I believe from verse 25, he's just waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. Generally, Israel is welcome to join the body of Christ individually to be a part of that remnant through faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And the opportunity as a nation is there. It's waiting. It says in verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, their unbelief in Jesus as the Messiah, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? We see more intentionally and specifically, Israel will be dealt with once again as God's privileged people in the future. In verse 25, which I've been referencing, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that speaks of that expectation, that anticipation that we should have, which we'll look at next week. Picture this uh, movie scene, right? I love the climaxes of movies. You got the hero, you, and I've, I've referenced this a lot. You got the hero, you got the damsel, you got the bad guy. And it's always a picture of what we're waiting for with bated breath from our Messiah. Okay? So picture this scenario. All right? The hero is known for his quick, accurate shooting. Okay? And he's been given this dilemma. There's the, there's the damsel on the on the uh, railroad tracks, okay? And the train's coming. And you've got that train switch there, okay? And you've got this whole jail cell full of, of uh, captives. If 
by the bad guy. And you got the bad guy standing just feet away from this, this train switch. And he knows the hero's down to one bullet. And you see the dilemma. Who are you going to protect? Who are you going to save? You got the damsel who he promised that he would always protect. Maybe he promised her dad, you know, I will always watch over your daughter. Okay? And the bad guy thinks he's got this perfect scenario all set up. But he's underestimated the power and the wisdom and the accuracy of the hero. So in that moment, the hero pulls out his gun and you see him aim for the, the, uh, the noble target, saving the one that he promised to protect. And he misses. It's like, oh. But then you see the bullet go, pew, 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 pew. You know, I don't know, bounces off the one thing, hits the jail cell, jail door flies open, flies over, smacks the bad guy right in the chest, and he falls over, hitting the switch and diverting the train. All of a sudden, his wisdom, his knowledge, his ability is like, whoa, how did that happen? And you're you know, left sitting there going, yeah, but what if he just fits this or what's the accurate? That's not bending bullet. Anyways. And so that's what we're seeing here in this chapter. What seems like a missed opportunity turns out to be a triple win with even better results than expected. What seems like a nation of God's privileged people that have been broken off and how tragic that they had God's covenants, that they had his presence, that they had the coming Messiah and they've been broken away and then we see in God's wisdom that he not just saves them, he not just takes care of the bad guy, he sets a whole people group that weren't even considered free which is us. And can you see why the chapter is summarized in verses 33 through 36? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Don't be arrogant. Don't lift yourself up as somehow being worthy of this God. Come to him on his terms. Come to him on his terms. And as always, you have the opportunity to do that the end of our service you're welcome to respond let's bow our heads gracious God your wisdom your knowledge your grace is amazing you could set things in motion over the course of thousands of years and be intimately involved with them to seem rejected to seem all is lost yet it's the moment of your greatest triumph
Lord, maybe someone here today is in that place. Where they're asking the question, have I stumbled beyond reversal, beyond repair? Lord, that's never what you're about. Not for entire nations and not for individuals. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your amazing ways, even ways that take us through pain, even ways that take us through suffering that in that moment we wonder about. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Help us to be aware of the severe drop that is to come. Your kindness will not endure forever for us as Gentiles. Lord, allow us to be fruitful. Allow us to resist apathy now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.